Amen. It is a, a treat, I think, every Sunday night to gather together and to, to lean into worship, kind of recenter, re-anchor, re-tether ourselves to the beauty of who Jesus is. I love that song. And just the incredible part of understanding who Jesus is is you never get your mind fully around him. Those of you who have been walking with Jesus for a while, maybe you're here tonight and you're just investigating him and maybe this is your first time in church and man, I'm glad that you're here. I know it takes guts coming to a new place and so I'm thrilled that you're here. We're thrilled you're here and and we, we hope to be a, a church where people can take next steps and beginning to discover and, and, and understand who Jesus is. You know, Jesus changed the world. There's no one who's ever been who is still impacting and imprinting and influencing the world quite like Jesus did. There's never been anyone, there never will be anyone quite like him. In every arena of life, he has impacted and influenced change in every continent, in every, world, in every uh, country, in every place, in every arena of life, he has changed things. In the scriptures and Jesus speak, his life, uh, what he taught, how he modeled, how he lived in a way, kind of sent this ripple effect across history. And 2,000 years later, we're still anchored and talking about him. He's amazing. Uh, the scriptures and, and him have answered some of the great philosophical questions of our day of just, you know, what's the meaning of life and is there a God? And Jesus said, yeah, I'm here. And not only am I a God, I know you and I want you to know me. And think of other philosophical questions like maybe some of the great uh, ones. I, I think of the great philosopher Tina Turner who asked a question that I think if you were to close your eyes, you might be able to hear it still ringing. Nobody, nobody, just me, okay, perfect, thank you. Top row, thank you. Who needs a... And a heart can't be, okay, there's my people, there we go. You know, Tina Turner asked this question, and, and, and we look at it and go, okay, that's a joke. But in reality, is it? Because she's asking, what's love got to do with it? And the reality is Jesus would say absolutely everything. Uh, and it may be that maybe she's asking a question, and I know that song kind of goes in a different direction, and, and this whole idea of, okay, we live in a culture that, that, that kind of downplays love. Love is, is pretty broken in some places if we're honest and if we just admit it, we kind of look around at the world and we go, okay, man, just the way of love just doesn't seem to, it seems pretty fractured at times. It seems pretty broken. It seems like it has a shelf life to it in so many different scenarios to it. And yet Jesus is saying, no, no, love really is the most important thing. In fact, if Jesus um, was, a, was a builder, love would be the foundation. And, and everything else would be added on top or into it, and it would be the thing that is constructed and holds everything together. If he was an archer, it would be the bullseye of the target. And, and everything else is counts around it, but you're really trying to hit the bullseye, and love would be 
that. If he was an entrepreneur, it would be the highest priority. It would be above every other objective or initiative that that organization would go after. He would say, love is what matters most. So we wanted to take the next three weeks and kind of look at a statement Jesus made. You may have heard of it called the Great Commandment. Uh, it happens in the Gospel of Mark, we see it in the Gospel of Matthew, we see it. We'll look in Matthew 22. If you have your Bible, you can go there. If you have the app, you can open up and look at sermon notes and follow along that way as well. But Jesus is kind of addressing this question, that, hey, what has love got to do? Well, it's got everything to do with it. And your heart has to be vulnerable enough to allow love to thrive and grow. And yes, is there a chance for brokenness to happen? But yeah, but real love can't even thrive and be present without your heart being vulnerable enough to give and receive love. Love is what matters most. In the American language, we only have one word for love. Guess what it is? Love. That's it. And so, like, I can love everything from a hamburger to my house to my spouse and like there should be a very different degrees of that, right? Like we all know that to be true instinctively, like it should be like I should love my spouse more than a hamburger, like just, and so we only have one word. You look at the Greek language, they have a few words for it. Uh, maybe you think of the word storhe, and it's this idea of a parental kind of love, especially a mom to a child, and it's this kind of love you have, or phileo, this brotherly kind of love. Your city of brotherly love is named Philadelphia. Phileo, this idea of this commonality and the compassion one to another, someone who will travel the ups and downs of life with you. This idea of eros, this erotic kind of love that's attraction-based and it stirs the heart and moves. And, and then agape, this agape love is a, a word that in the Greek literature, if you study the Greek literature, actually doesn't appear all that often in their own literature but it's a word that they had. It spoke about this unconditional kind of love. It was a love that was different than the other words they had for love. It stood outside of just relationship and give and take. It stood outside of just an attraction one to another. It stood outside of just this commonality that would bring you together and you should pursue and travel the ups and downs of life. It stood separate from that. Agape love is way more than a feeling. Tina, agape love has this depth to it that the word, as they spoke about it, talked to specif- specifically about action, of doing for something that would benefit the other individual, even if it didn't benefit you. It was this kind of love that said, I'm putting your needs above mine, and it's not a give or take, I'm just going to give, and I'm for your best. Agape love is the kind of love that the scriptures use to describe Jesus' love. It's the most used word that we see in the New Testament describing his kind of love. And when he spoke about it, the, the, the backdrop of where he was going was in this agape kind of love. This, in the Old Testament, would be this covenantal kind of love. This covenant love, not a, a contract where you uphold your end and I uphold mine. It's this covenant that says, I'm all in your corner whether you ever come to mine or not. I'm, I'm all for you, and I'm for your best, and I'm working for you. And so Jesus has this conversation. What's interesting is you have to understand the context of where this conversation takes place in Matthew chapter 22. For about a year and a half now that religious leaders of the day have been challenging Jesus, kind of trying to trip him up, trap him in some of the words that he was using. So think about that, someone trying to trap you in your words and what you have to say for a year and a half, like that's pretty intense. You think about it. 
and they've tried a few other things in a rapid fire succession and it didn't quite work. Jesus' wisdom is far greater. Why? Because God's foolishness is greater than the wisdom of man. And so they haven't quite done it. And then we read this encounter of what transpires. Matthew 22, verse 34 says this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. Here's a little side note for those of you who want to be Bible scholars. Sadducees were one sect of religious leaders of the day. And why are they Sadducees? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. Okay, there you go. So that's, that was free. Okay. The Pharisees or the other religious leaders that did believe in the resurrection, they got together and they worked together and one of them was an expert in the law. Any lawyers here? Experts in the law, right? And here's what he says. Here's the question I'm going to use to test Jesus. So he approaches Jesus and says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, this question is a good question. It's actually a necessary question. The rabbis of the day, they would meet and often debate. See, what had happened is the law of the Old Testament had been added onto and, and kind of statutes have been put in place, so many so that it's 613 laws that the Jewish people have to uphold and, and live out. And so the rabbis would often discuss and debate which are the heavy ones and which are the light ones? Which are the ones that we have to do? What's the most important ones? And what's the ones that we're like, okay, we want to do those, but like we got to major in these. And so it's a fair question. And without hesitation, watch how Jesus answers. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and without a pause in breath, he continues. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That last line is a fascinating line. All of the law, all of the prophets. So like all of where you have gotten the 613 laws and the statutes that we're supposed to live by, all of that you, you've been arguing over for centuries about and how to fulfill this and go to, okay, all of that hangs. Anyone ever hung a mirror before in your house or a picture? How many of you have used a nail and a hammer? Probably not your head. You used a hammer, you've nailed something in and then you hang the picture up and what are you hoping the picture does? It stays there, right? If you were to pull out the nail, where does the picture go? To the ground. This is brilliant what Jesus is doing. Okay, what's the heavy ones? What's the light ones? Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to sum it all up. I'm going to put a nail right here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang. Everything finds its weight here. See, where religion gets sideways is when we pull out the nail and the mirror falls and it fractures and we pick up a sliver of the mirror and we say, see, you're breaking the law. See? Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus said, look, everything hangs here. 
This is the great commandment. Now, we've also been given a great commission. We looked at that earlier this year, this great commission to go and take the message and the hope of Jesus, the gospel, out for people. You're to go and make disciples of all nations, and wherever you go, you're telling them about Jesus and his story, that God knows people, and he actually wants to be known by them. And he's made a way for that to happen. But as you go on the great commission, man, you've got to live out the great commandment. You've got to love. And you've got to love upward, back into relationship with God. You've got to love inward. You've got to love yourself rightly. We have a lot of people in our culture who love themselves. But maybe not rightly. And you've got to love others. You've got to love outward to the people around you. And so this is this challenge to us to say, look, we've got to be these kind of people. And so how do we live to begin to live and grow an upward kind of love, an inward love, and an outward love in a right possible way? Well, it all starts with the song we just sang. It all starts with being tethered to the fact that the reason we can love is because we have been loved. That it's Jesus himself who has said, I've come to love you. The scriptures declare God loves you. If this is your first time back in church, I want you to hear this. God loves you. He actually likes you. That doesn't mean he approves of everything you do. But that means he loves you. He is for you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. This is about understanding his love for us. We see it in 1 John 4.19. We love, why? Because he first loved us. John 13, 34, Jesus gathers his disciples in this Passion Week, the last final week, and he says to them, a new command I give you. Who gives commands? God does. He's the only one that does it. So Jesus, again, claiming his deity. A new command I give you. You don't love one another. How? As I have loved you. See, the reason you can love others and the reason you can love God and the reason you can love yourself is because I have loved you. And I want you to be tethered to that. Sink your roots deep into that. Then that will free you to love upward, to love God back, to love inward, to love yourself rightly, to love others well, and and to do that in a world that needs it. See, it's God's love that empowers us to love. And we must always stay connected to that. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5 where he writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, look, follow God's example. Meaning, who gave the first example? Who's the one who modeled? God did. Follow his example. We're speaking of Jesus. Therefore, as dearly loved children, are you neglected? No. Are you known? Yes. Are you dearly loved? Yes. As dearly loved children, walk in the way of love. How do we do that? Well, Jesus modeled it. He's the example. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God, agape kind of love. Jesus gave up his life and said, I agape you. Whether you ever reflect it back to me or not, I am for you. That is an amazing, powerful love. Friends, our world, our world needs more of that. You, I, need more of that. So many of our definitions of love, because we only have one word, it it seems to lose its grip when you begin to unpack it and explain it. Walk in the way of love. We see Jesus as as he does this. Walk in his way. Stay connected to him. Uh, How many of you uh, decorate for Christmas? 
Okay, that's all of you. I, I know for a fact that there are about two kinds of people in the world when it comes to Christmas lights, okay? I'll explain it to you. There's the people who uh, between November, like Thanksgiving time and uh, Christmas Eve will go and grab some lights and they will plug them in. How many of you are in that camp? That's you. A few of you, okay, so. So you'll grab lights and you'll get them out and you'll kind of say, okay, I've decorated. Now the other camp of you, you did that once between November and Christmas Eve, and then you just leave them plugged in the whole rest of the year. Anyone in that camp willing to admit it? Okay, a few of you. It doesn't matter whether you decorate the outside or the inside for Christmas. Here's the point that we all find. Whatever camp you're in and however you decorate, you cannot mentally make the lights come on. You can't just stare at a group of lights and say, work, right? They literally have to be attached to the power source. See how simple this is? You already know where I'm going. In order for us to grow an upward kind of love back to God, an inward life, a love that's right for ourselves, and an outward kind of love that expresses that to people well, we can't just mentally make that happen. We can't just have habits or, or so that are just about our fortitude and our makeup and our effort that makes that happen. We have to be connected to the power source. That's why Jesus in the scriptures over and over say, I want you to love. You can love because I first loved you. Stay connected to me. And let me begin to grow a love that goes upward back to, to God, that goes inward rightly to yourself and goes outward to bless others. And so with the time I got left, I want to take us on a little bit of a journey on some practices, some habits of how do you drill down and begin to try to cultivate this idea of staying connected. How do you grow this? How do you work some of the things that say, how do I help grow a, a upward love for God? How do I get better at that? And the first suggestion, maybe habit I'd give you is just grow in worship. One of the reasons we spend a good chunk of our time together is to worship. Now, worship is not just singing a song. Let me be real clear. Paul unpacks this in Romans 12. He says, look, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, meaning God moved first, in view of his mercy, now offer your lives, not just the lips and the words from your lips, but your lives as a living sacrifice, pleasing to God. This is your true, proper act of worship. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Center your heart. Give your allegiance, your attention, your affection in God's direction. And allow it to grow your love for him. Why? Because it's in view of his mercy and everything he's done. When we lose gratitude or we forget the idea of focusing on things, it's so easy for us to get distracted and worship other things. You were created to worship and you will worship. You will worship something or you'll worship someone. Look around in our culture. There are a lot of things and a lot of people and a lot of themselves who get worshipped. 
And the challenge here is to aim your worship in the right direction. It's back to the one who has saved you, that in view of his mercy, my worship goes in his direction. It's not about just worshiping my career and trying to do more of my hobbies or my family and my relationships. It's worshiping the creator, admiring him for all of what he's done and all of who he is and allowing my worship to be there. Jesus said, seek first God, his kingdom. All this other stuff people pursue, I, I know that you need some of it, and you'll get it. Just make sure you seek God first. Seek his kingdom first. All this other stuff will come. It may not come as much as you want, as in great depth as you want, but I'll add it to you. I'm not going to neglect you. I'm not going to withhold from you. But you seek God first. You worship the one who matters most. Seek the eternal one. Don't just settle for temporal things and pursuing after that. That's why worship matters. That's why corporate worship matters. That's why individual worship matters. It's a way, I think, of centering us back to who matters most. And that's part of the beauty of gathering as the church. That's part of gathering in your, in your own closet, if you will, your own home in certain ways, just to say, God, I want to put my attention back on you. My attention, so many things clamor for my attention. So many things clamor for my allegiance, my affection, and my attention. But God, I want you to have that first and foremost. Doesn't mean I can't have hobbies. Doesn't mean I can't have other likes. Doesn't mean I can't have other pursuits. But it means I seek God first. And in doing so, I keep myself worshiping the one who matters most and not getting my worship sidetracked in that. Prayer matters. It's important for us to cultivate a heart of prayer that wants to constantly be in communication and connection with God. It's bringing your quest before him, bringing your praise to him. It's listening to him in silence. Jesus is teaching his disciples often through the New Testament or often through the gospel accounts of just what is prayer? How do you do it? And I think for some of us who are maybe new in our faith or coming back to faith, it becomes overcomplicated. Prayer is just talking and listening. That's all it is. You don't have to be mechanical or rigid about it. You can be real about it. Have you read the Psalms this summer? Were there moments where David was hacked and he let God know about it? Yeah. You know what God usually did in those moments? David, let's kind of woe back from yourself, okay? And let's get back to worship because you'll see things more properly when you see it in the right perspective. And right now your perspective is askew. And so I'm here, I can hear your complaints, I can hear your concerns, I can hear your nerves. I love this teaching of Jesus in Luke 11 where he talks about prayer, but he talks about it in an emotional kind of gut level. He says, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, the door is open. Is God reluctant? No. That's what Jesus is saying. You want to know what the Father's really like? He's like this. If you knock, he's going to open the door. If you seek him, he will meet you. If you listen, he will be there. Which of you is a father? If your son asks for a fish, you're going to hand him a snake. This would be so humorous when Jesus is saying this. Like, who would do this? Nobody would do this. If he, your son asks you for an egg, you're going to hand him a scorpion? No. If you, though you're evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more? That's my favorite phrase of the whole section. How much more does God care? And that he will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit and meet you where you're at. And he will be a part of your life and growing you in prayer. You can meet God in prayer. So make that a pattern. Worship, prayer. Thirdly, solitude. I think in the American culture, this one right here is the one we need more of. That in our cultural context, we have a very difficult time practicing Sabbath and solitude. And yet these are rhythms we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament that are meant to help create within us a growth of staying connected to God and growing our love upward to him and our love with him. In stillness and solitude, we are able to hear the whispers of God more readily. And in solitude, we are able to silence the voices around us to hear the one voice who matters most. Henry Nouwen wrote this, solitude is the place of purification and transformation, the place of great struggle and great encounter. Sometimes, as you read through the gospel accounts, it's the words of Jesus that capture you. But sometimes, friends, I want to challenge you to watch for the habits and the patterns and the rhythms of Jesus that capture you. A few years back, I was reading in Mark preparing for a series, and I came across Mark 1.35. I read it several times. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And I couldn't move past that verse. And I just stuck there. I've read this. I've seen this. And it's like the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, uh, tap, tap, tap. If Jesus... You remember the Son of God? If he needed this rhythm in his life, how much more do you need this rhythm in your life? And I remember just being floored, like, yeah, I don't live that way. I don't don't live with that kind of pace. Maybe I would admit, like many of you, My calendar's too full to live with that kind of pace. And so the the change for me was I've got to declutter. I've got to make this more a pattern of my life. And if you're not a morning person, then don't do it in the morning. Jesus was obviously a morning person. Doesn't mean you have to be. It just means you need to find this rhythm, this habit of solitude, of prayer, of Sabbath, of resting. Why? Because you're not a machine. You are a limited resource. So am I. Who serves an unlimited God. And we need to stay connected to him. Because how we can love ourselves and love others and love him back is to stay connected. It's not just mentally trying to think it up and make it happen. It's learning to live this rhythm. So I just, here's what I try to do. I try to divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. Okay? If that's catchy and you can write it down, great. If it sticks with you, awesome. Find your rhythm. Okay? This isn't just adopt this one. But figure out what does it mean to divert daily, to spend time with God. I don't know if that's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. I don't know. For some of you who maybe don't even have that as a habit, make it two minutes to start. Just start. 
withdraw weekly. That's the idea of Sabbath, of saying I'm going to set some time aside where I'm not going to be what I produce. I'm just going to be who God's made me to be. I'm going to be with him. Abandon annually. I'm telling you, uh, the last few years, I've taken like a four-day retreat where it's awesome. I don't talk to anybody for four days. It was scary the first time I did it. It's life-giving to me now. That's hard to do. That didn't happen overnight. But begin to figure out ways to do this. Make solitude and Sabbath part of your life. And the last one, deepening. This idea of deepening your heart to say, I want to know Jesus better. My favorite verse in the Bible, and I say that a lot, but my favorite verse in the Bible is Ephesians 1.17, Paul's prayer over the church and over you and over me. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. Not just know more about him. It's not a knowledge thing. This is about knowing him better. Deepen yourself in the word. Deepening yourself to understand the scriptures. Deepening yourself to say, I want to make knowing God's word more and more a pattern of my life because these words are alive and active. That's what Jesus said. That's what the scriptures declare, that his alive and active and will meet you. If you want to know what God's like, get to know Jesus. If you want to know Jesus better, then read about him. Understand him. Grow in your knowledge of him, deepening the roots of your heart to understand the scriptures. It's what we read in Psalms. Blessed is the one who does not walk with the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And they meditate it. They chew on it. That's what that word means. They, they digest this. They make it part. They want to get all the nourishment out of it. And as they do, their life is like one tree planted by water that never loses its leaf. It doesn't wither, and everything they do prospers. Why? Because they're deepening the roots of their heart to say, God, I want to know you. I need to stay connected to you. I need to meet you in your word, and you're going to meet me. And so how do you begin to do that? Well, think of it this way. How do you travel? Most of us travel by plane, by car, or walking, right? So by plane is a 35,000 few... um, if you've never read through the entire Bible, why not take a plane sometime and read through the whole Bible? It's a 35,000 uh, foot view of what the scriptures have to say and what God has for you. Maybe it's driving in a car and it's just picking one book and you're going to take that one book for one month and just kind of pick it apart and you're going to look at it and read it and meditate on it. Maybe it's just like walking and it's just one verse or you're going to read one section of scripture until the Holy Spirit stops you and that's where you're going to hang out and say, God, why'd you stop me there? What do you have for me here? And so figuring this out is how you grow your love connection with God. It's God's love that empowers us to love and to grow our upward love with him. We only have one word for love in our English language. But it's so much bigger than that, isn't it? I was reminded of that Wednesday afternoon. Dropping my daughter off at school. Up at college. She's heading to GCU. We get her all moved into her dorm. And I'm that dad. And I'm telling myself I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. Listen, I didn't cry, okay? So take that. Um, 
but I gave her the longest hug on Wednesday afternoon. And I had a flashback of 18 years. And here's what it was. 10 seconds captured 18 years. I've loved this girl. I have sacrificed for her. I have been devoted to her. I have thought of her above myself. I've invested in her, I've coached her, I've given to her, I've received from her. I've blessed her, I've worked for her. I've given her a heart that comforts at times that needs, a heart that champions and challenges when that's needed as well, that listens and gives to. That's what love does. Here's a beautiful reality as we move toward communion. I was thinking about this this week. Did you ever think about what Jesus thought about on the cross? I know he thought about you. I know he thought about me. Because that was the whole point. Do you ever think that maybe hanging on the cross, Jesus had those same flashback moments, or maybe better yet, the flash-forward moments to you being on this planet? And you, and the ways that he would intervene and intersect in your life, the ways he'd provide for you, the ways he would give to you, the ways that he would challenge you in certain ways, the ways he'd comfort you in certain ways. Did you ever think that maybe in this amazing love that we get to live connected to. That part of the gift of that is he begins to love you well so that your heart is opened up to want to love him back. And so as we take communion tonight, I just want to encourage you, if you're ready for that, you want for that, we have communion in the back and up front, there's gluten-free over here, just invite you to take that moment to say thank you to Jesus, to remember his love for you and his sacrifice for you. If you just need to sit still and think about it, then just pray and worship as we sing this last song and allow that to stir your heart to say, God, I want to stay connected to you and I want to grow and develop my upward love back to you because I'm, I'm incredibly forever grateful for your downward love to me. And you didn't have to seek me out but you chose to, and you came for me. And so, Father, that's what we want to live in. We want to live as people who are captivated by your love. We love because you first loved us. That's what we celebrate. As we take communion, we remember, Jesus, you came on a search and rescue mission for each one of us. And you did it whether we would say yes to you or not you still chose us. And so we want to center our hearts, our lives back on you to live in this incredible love you have for us, to have that grow an upward love back to you, an inward love that loves ourselves rightly, properly, and fuels an outward love that begins to change the world around us. And so, Father, would you meet us, would you stir our hearts afresh as we worship you? 
As we linger in your presence, we give our attention, our affection, our allegiance, our adoration to you. In these moments, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us?